Would you all turn with me in the Scriptures to the book of Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews 11 is found on page 1007 in these black ESV Bibles around you. We're now at message number 20 in the book of Hebrews. I don't know if that's too slow or too fast for you all in terms of a pace. We've made it to chapter 11 last week, and over the last couple weeks, we've been thinking about how faith and our future hope make a difference in our lives. Faith and our future hope, how that makes a difference in our lives. And what you have in chapter 11 is a bunch of examples of how faith has made a a significant difference in many people's lives. And so we're going to see a few of those examples today. But primarily what we're going to do as we take chapter 11 is look at some themes that I think help put the whole chapter together. And we'll see one of those this week and in the coming weeks. But I want to ask you first, before we dive into it, does faith and future hope make a difference in your life? Like, is there any sense to which these things that we talk about, are they changing and transforming your life? Or, you know, is this just something we're going through, the routine of Sunday morning church, because that's just what you do? I feel like for me, I have a renewed excitement and vigor for helping you all wake up to the reality that this word is good. You know, these words about our faith and the future hope we have, it changes people. I feel like for my own self, like it's coming alive even in my own heart. So there's just times where like I'm reading commentaries and I'm prepping and I'm studying, but I just can't say like getting alone with this book and pouring over just these words, like is that happening for you? The Word of God, as you hear it, faith comes by hearing. You hear God's Word and the message and the good news that it pronounces to us and over us. Does it transform? I would not be up here and I would not give my life away if this Word was just, hey, let's go through the routine of another Sunday. What a waste. Did you waste your morning coming out here? Friends, I plead with you, I think that there is just power in these words, transforming power, and I want to encourage all of us to be open to that possibility. So let's look at the theme from from Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 2, we're going to see a bookend from this chapter in verse 2 and then in verse 39, a word that sticks out. So look at chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And last week we said that the King James Version is actually a whole lot better here. Faith is the substance of the things hoped for. It is the reality of the things not seen, which gives us a little bit different picture. And so as I defined it last week, faith is living like your future hope is real. If you believe in that hope and it is real, then your faith will be the demonstration or the example that, yeah, I really 
believe in that, and so this is the way I live now. And it just has so many implications for your life. That's where the transforming power starts coming when you see, okay, if that's real, how does that then change now? And it changes everything. Look at verse 2. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And then he goes on, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, and then by faith, by faith, by faith. Now, skip forward to verse 39. This is now kind of a, he's concluding, he's getting toward the end of all of these, by faith, by faith, by faith. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So, can you see it? The link between the beginning and the end, the bookends of this chapter. What's the word that sticks out? For by it, for by faith, the people of old were commended. They received their commendation. Verse 39, and all of these people of old, that's who he's talking about in verse 2, this list of Old Testament characters, they were commended through their faith. So commendation is the theme I want us to look at. Three questions about commendation. What is it? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? There's our outline for this morning. What is commendation? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? First, what is it? Well, you could look up commendation in an English dictionary and find that it's a, it's a prize. It's a certificate. It's some sort of reward, thanking, or commending for a, a job well done. You commend someone, good job, here's your certificate, here's your trophy, little boy or girl, good job. But friends, we're not studying the Bible from the English primarily. When we study the Bible, we should realize that every time we open the Bible, it's like we're taking a flight into a whole nother culture, a whole nother world. And in fact, this flight is back in time. So we need to learn a language, we need to learn a culture, we need to think like they think and not just interpret the way we would interpret. So commendation is a fine word. Like I said last week, most English translations are good. And this is a fine word, but I think what we want to make sure we get is the whole sense of it. So if you have other English translations, you'll see they use different words here. Some will talk about the people of old received their approval. It's a different way to communicate what this word is here. The root of the word is actually the word that we get martyr from, or a witness who suffers for a cause. That's the root of the word that you have in front of you that's translated commendation. I think one of the more helpful pictures is actually the idea of a courtroom and a testimony in the courtroom, because there's some legal nature to this word. In fact, when you've read it earlier in the book of Hebrews, you'll see in other places, he'll It'll be translated testify because there's a testimony being given. And so even this same word in the same book is translated differently in the book. And in here it's trying to talk about a good testimony commending or a report being given about somebody. Are we starting to see the whole picture here? This legal picture, I think, is fresh in our minds if you've been watching the television news the last few months and then even particularly this last week. Famous Chicago Blackhawks star Patrick Kane earlier this summer on off-season partying 
was accused of raping a woman. This doesn't go so well for the Chicago Blackhawks or Patrick Kane, and he could eventually be in jail if these accusations are in fact true. And so as the prosecution listens to testimonies, and as they realize that some of the testimonies weren't lining up well with the accusations, this last week the news reported Patrick Kane's whole big process was dropped. The whole case was dropped by the prosecution. Get that picture in your mind. I don't know if you're following the story, but that idea. Here's someone who's been accused, and here you have testimonies, a commendation being given about Patrick Kane's actions and behaviors, and they're commending and they're reporting, no, no, that's not actually true what the person accused him of. And on the basis of those testimonies, he's free to go. So if you listened to the news reports and the interviews, I mean, he is feeling so free right now. Whew, that was a close one. Glad that didn't happen the way it was looking like it was going. So commendation, a testimony that clears a name, that gives a good report. But in verse 2, who is the one giving the commendation and the good report about these people of old, these fathers, these older saints? Well, it's God. God is the one who is commending them. How do we know that? Well, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. The first example we see of the people of old is Abel, the first man, according to the scriptures, that we know of that ever died. And then in verse 5, we get the first man that we ever know of that didn't die. Verse 5, Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was, and there's our word again, he was commended as having pleased God. Do you see what's happening here? In verse 2, we have an introduction about this chapter, and we have a bookend about these people of faith and how they're being commended, and then explicitly in verses 4 and 5, the commendation and the good report is given by God. So what we're talking about this morning is not just a good report from anyone, but a good report being accepted, being cleared of your name, by God Almighty. That's our definition. That's what we're talking about, commendation. Second question. That's what it is. Why do we need it? Now, I want to get to this passage that we just read in verses 4 and 5, but I'm going to flip around the normal order here. Normally, I say, okay, here's my point, here's my question, all right, passage of Scripture, and then application. I'm going to flip it around. So we're going to look at the Scripture, but I want to first answer the question, talking to you, application. Why do you need commendation from God? You know why? Because you are trying so hard to make a case for yourself every day. You're trying to prove yourself. You're going through life trying to be accepted and loved and not rejected. Just think how many times you make decisions and do things 
because you're trying to be commended. You're trying to be accepted and prove yourself. Some of you don't even realize that that's why you're doing what you're doing. And that's why I bring it up. Think through different aspects of your life. You don't just want a job. You want a career. Because a career can help define who you are and your worth and your value and your dignity, your acceptance in society because I don't just have this kind of job. I have success. I've worked up the ladder. Friends, I'm a pastor of this congregation. I have had conversations with some of you. I know that our people of Embassy Church, we struggle with that fact. Oh, my job. I get embarrassed even telling people about what I do. They want commendation because of what they do. Therefore, we don't just work faithfully. We're workaholics. See how when you're trying to make a job, which is a good gift from God that we work and serve and help people and do good things with the work that we do, great thing. But when it becomes your everything, now you're a slave to it. You're a workaholic because now you need all of your life and your justification to flow from this job. Let's give a different example. Some of you date very poorly or have dated or married poorly. The reason why you've done so isn't because you're seeking love or you love someone else. It's because you're seeking commendation. You're seeking acceptance. You want them to love you. Not because you love them so much. Why would you date someone that you shouldn't be dating? Because they say they love you? Because you feel accepted? Friends, this is why people are in bad relationships. This is why they pick poor spouses. To be loved and accepted by someone, it's this longing that you have in your heart. Why do you get so nervous? Maybe this doesn't apply to most men, maybe more ladies. I don't know if this is a character characterization, but why do we get so nervous before we leave the house and change our outfits ten times and cover up and do all different things? Because we don't want to be our true self. We want to put our best foot forward every time we leave the house. We want to be accepted by the world. Friends, do you see what I'm saying here? Why do we need commendation? Because you're looking for it all over the place, every day and in different areas of your life. In a thousand different ways, you're longing to be commended and approved by the world and your friends and your family and your mom or your dad. How many of us weren't affirmed as our childhood? We were raised and we're still longing for mom and dad to say, good job, son. Good job, daughter. I love you. How many counseling cases, counselors in the room? I mean, can you testify to this? Yeah. There's a lot of people that are just dealing with the baggage that I was never good enough for mom and dad. I know growing up, one of my great temptations was athletic success. My whole world was defined. It's it's a good thing. Exercise is great. Shouldn't be your world. Shouldn't be your dignity and your value and your acceptance. Well, if I'm an excellent basketball player, well, then I will have something to prove myself with. That scholarship, that excellent game, those awards. Friends, this is the way we struggle through life so often. Now the temptation for me is, am I going to be a good enough preacher? Will they like my sermons? Will my church be big enough? I wonder how many of us that aren't even preachers. Ministry is our commendation. I know even 
that example. Again, I've heard people in our congregation over the last couple years say things like, yeah, I struggle sometimes where I feel guilty, and I I figure in my mind, maybe if I just serve more, that kind of helps make up for the guilt. Is that you this morning? Trying to get accepted and feel right by your ministry? Well, if I share the gospel more in evangelism or how many Bible studies I'm doing or if I give of my money or, or all these different things we do, we're looking. But do you see, what if you already had a commendation? What if you already knew that you were loved and accepted just as you are? What if someone really did love you that way? What if you had the ultimate commendation Would that change anything? Friends, it would change everything. It would change everything. That ultimate commendation comes from God. Why do you need that? Well, let's think about the story of Cain and Abel. It comes right off of the heels of Genesis 1 and 2, where Adam and Eve were walking in the garden. They were at peace with God. It says they were naked and unashamed. Everything was right with them and God. Then in their sin, choosing to rebel against God, they felt naked, they felt guilty, they felt shameful. And so in their efforts to try and cover up their nakedness, they put fig leaves on. And friends, all of our commendation efforts are just fig leaves, like Adam and Eve. We're so like them. They were rejected. They were kicked out of the garden. They were in. They were the in crowd. Well, then they were rejected and kicked out for their sin. And they were guilty. And every right God should have kicked them out. When we get to the Cain and Abel story, we don't know why or how or what transpires because we go from Adam and Eve and then we go to a grown man Two, two grown men after they're born. So here's Adam and Eve. They conceive and they have two sons. What was their childhood like? What were they taught? What was their theology? We don't know. What we know, though, is that they made sacrifices. Now, Abel's sacrifice, Hebrews says in verse 4, you see, Abel offered to God a better, a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And as Hannah read us the story from Genesis chapter 4, We do know that they offer different sacrifices. One of the sacrifices was of animals, but that's because Abel was a keeper of the flock. And then Cain offered grains and fruits because he was gardening. So it seems like it makes sense that they would offer from the things that the Lord had provided for them in their occupation. Well, I'm giving back to you what you gave to me, God. And the word here is actually not a guilt offering, it's like a thank offering that you'd find later, and thank offerings were made of grain. So I don't think it would be right for us to say, well, the difference between the two offerings is one was a blood sacrifice and the other was just a grain offering. Uh, Grain offerings are quite acceptable in the book of Leviticus in those first couple chapters that I always joke about us never reading, you know? Well, here's where they come into significance. Hebrews makes it quite clear. I don't think it's necessarily the difference between the actual offering itself, unless you could say this, and this is maybe just merely speculation. 
When you read carefully Genesis chapter 4, you'll notice that Cain and Abel, well, Abel's sacrifice was the first fat portions of the animals. It was his very best, if you want to put it that way. Whereas normally, if you were to offer a grain offering, it would have to be the first fruits, as Leviticus will say. And it doesn't say that he gave the first fruits. Either way, whether that's the main difference or not, we know without a doubt Hebrews makes it quite clear. Their hearts are way different. Abel has faith. Abel knows God. And his offering, therefore, because of his faith, is pleasing to God. Whereas Cain's sacrifice was rejected. He had no regard for it. And the reason why I want to bring that up is because when you go through the rest of the Old Testament, there are a variety of examples of God accepting a pleasing sacrifice and rejecting others. So let me give you two scripture passages for you to write down and read at some point. One is from Isaiah chapter 1. Read the first chapter of Isaiah chapter 1. Another one is Malachi chapter 1. These are just two of many examples of God looking at the people of Israel's sacrifices and saying, I can't stand them. I have no regard for them. And when you read the context behind them, you'll see that a lot of what's happening here is that their hearts are so far from God. And in fact, isn't that exactly what you find when David's confessing in Psalm 51? I don't want your sacrifices. I want your heart. Isn't that what Jesus then teaches later in the Gospels? It's not these external sacrifices. It's your heart that I want. And so the heart of Abel was pure and righteous. By faith, he was righteous. And that's what we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. How does someone seen as righteous in God's sight? That's the ultimate commendation. God seeing you as sinful and as dirty and guilty and shameful and naked as you are and looking at you and saying, you're clothed, you're righteous, you're beautiful, and your guilt is gone. How does that happen? Well, friends, we've actually already read this earlier in Hebrews chapter 10. It's the first part of this section on faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 37. Then he quotes here a passage from Isaiah and Habakkuk. The Habakkuk one is the more important one. So 37. Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. There it is. Three times in the New Testament, authors, Hebrews, and twice Paul, quote this passage from Habakkuk. The righteous, they live by faith. And what Hebrews is doing for us is showing us how God commendates, he approves, he accepts people, not because of their righteous works, because of their faith. And Abel is a perfect example of that. That's why he gives him. Abel, he presented a sacrifice. Cain presented a sacrifice. What was the difference? Faith. One was accepted. One was rejected. Why do we need this sacrifice or, or, or commendation from God, better yet? Because God is holy, and your best sacrifice is not good enough. Friend, are you more like Cain, or are you more like Abel? Cain's of the world want to be accepted so badly and that when they offer their sacrifice before God and it's rejected, their whole world is crumbled. 
They're bitter, they're angry, and they will do anything to make their case right, even if it means killing his own brother. The ables of the world understand that God is holy and that your best is not good enough, and by faith you have to trust in the promise of God. How did Abel trust in the promise of God? Do you realize that in Genesis 3, God not only cursed Adam and Eve, but he gave them a promise? I have to assume, knowing the whole scriptures and the story here, that Abel heard that promise, and he believed on it by faith, and he knew that his sacrifice wouldn't do enough, so God, here's the best that I got, but I know I need you. I'm seeking you with all my heart, God. I need you to be the one to fulfill your promise on my behalf. It's the same thing here. We got the Cain and Abel comparison. Think of Jesus' story in the prodigal son. You have the younger brother who comes and says, I have sinned against God and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then think of the older brother who's bitter, who's angry, and all of the good things that he's done is, not being rewarded and commended by his father. Do you see the the difference here? Or think of Jesus' story about the two men who go into the temple to pray. There's one who is a tax collector, and there's one who is the religious Pharisee. And the tax collector, the awful sinner in this case, he beats his breast. Woe is me. Have mercy on me, God. I'm a sinful man. And the Pharisee says, well, I'm glad I'm not like that sinner over there. Those tax collectors are so terrible. Do you see the difference all through Scripture? There's Cain's and Abel's. There's younger sons and there's older brothers. There's tax collectors who are sinners and beat their breasts and say, have mercy on me, God. And then there's Pharisees who look down on others and think that their sacrifices are good enough. I think that's what's going on here. And why you need commended before God is because before holy God, your sacrifices are not good enough, so you need him to declare you righteous by your faith, not by your works. So how do you get it? Talking about being commended and made righteous and being accepted by God, we need that. We're looking for it in all the wrong places. Third, final question, how do we get it? Verse 4, Abel was proved righteous by his faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, he died. Though he died, he still speaks. And I think here it's not talking about his blood that's speaking, because we saw that in Genesis 4, or the story in Genesis 4. I think here it's talking about his faith is speaking. And in verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now here's, I think, the key verse, verse 6. How do we get it? And without faith, it is impossible to please God. You will always be rejected if you don't have faith. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So, You need to know that God exists and that he rewards in the future those who seek him. So do you know God? Do you know that he exists? Do you know that he became a man? A man named Jesus walked on the earth 
the God-man. Do you know this God that stood on trial as false accusations were made unto him? And he did not receive a commendation from the witnesses. Instead, the God of the universe, the only guiltless one in all of history, the only one who deserved the commendation, instead received condemnation, crucified. When we see Jesus Christ as the one who was clothed with all righteousness, hanging naked on a cross on our behalf, knowing that we were the naked ones in the garden, trying all of our efforts to cover ourselves up and prove ourselves. Jesus was the one who was stripped, beaten, and condemned, even though he should have only been been commended. Friends, put your faith in the God who has done that for you. Jesus Christ, his perfect righteousness on your behalf. And then the words you hear from God are, you are loved, you are accepted, you are justified, you are righteous. And do you realize what difference it would make if you knew that you had the ultimate commendation from God? You are loved. You don't need these other guys or girls or marriages or family or father or mother telling you, I love you. The ultimate one has already said, I love you. Put your faith in me. How loudly has he shouted he loves you? The cross of Jesus Christ is shouting, I love you. I accept you just as you are. You know, in parenting philosophies these days, especially secular kind of non-Christian parenting, what do children need? Self-esteem and confidence. Have any of you heard that before? Yes? Nods of heads? Yeah, okay. We have a few people that have heard the same thing? Okay. So, for example, we think that that's what would help them, and I don't ultimately disagree with the idea that they need encouragement and commendation and love and affirmation, but what is it rooted in? So, for example, if a commendation is a prize or reward, and we take all the kids on the soccer team and the whole league, and you've got the kids that won the championship and won, oh, but we don't keep score, everybody gets a trophy for participation, you're commended, you need self-esteem, we don't want anybody to feel like they're a loser. What does that communicate to these kids? These trophies are not based on anything. There's nothing that actually has root in anything. And and so they're going to grow up and be like, well, I was just told I was great and good and whatever. I, I think it's got a bottom to it. There's no foundation for these words of encouragement. Do you see what I'm saying here about how we're giving kids self esteem, but rooted in what? In the fact that God loves them? that they're image bearers of God and that they were created in his image to reflect his glory and he made all of them unique and beautiful in his image? Okay, that has some roots. That has some foundations. Build their esteem on God and what he has said about them. Not just because, well, you participated. Good for you. That that doesn't help anybody. They're going to grow up and realize that's a sham. It wasn't based on anything. There's my little rant for the day, I guess. I guess the the former coach in me that's a little competitive is coming out. 
But here, here's the point. When I just told you, put your faith in Jesus, and now God will speak to you the words, I love you. You're accepted. Stop finding acceptance anywhere else. You are cherished and loved just as you are. Is that foundationless? Is it rooted in something? It's rooted in the history of Christ and his cross. How, how more sure do you need to be in God's love for you? It's not abstract. It's not ethereal or just some philosophies or ideas of psychology. It's rooted in history. Do you believe that God exists? Do you believe that Jesus existed? What did his death on a cross communicate to you? Friends, this changes everything. Has it changed you? Or is this just the routine? This is just what we do. At this point, I want us to hear how this gospel message changes people. Not just Abel, not just Enoch or Noah or all these Old Testament people. Like, it still changes people today. I'm hoping it's changing some of you to help you realize I don't need to find acceptance and love and value and dignity and my identity and anything else. I have it fully in Jesus Christ. I don't need mom or dad to say, well done. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant, because of my faith. I know that's coming in the future, so now I can live all these days in the present very differently. So let's not just hear these old stories. I want us to hear a real life story from someone in here. So I've asked Amy to come up and share her story, her testimony. And friends, see the connections this morning. Hear how God has changed some of us in this room because of faith in a future commendation and knowing that you're already loved. So Amy, come share with us for the next few minutes.